deceptive manipulative. He's also a former social worker and a political campaign activist. Some people in town say the base is run by aliens working with our federal government to conduct mind control and genetic experiments. I'm leaving. I'm glad. Thanks a lot, society, for railroading my ass. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Eerie Americas. This is one of your hosts, Vicky Ayala. And this is your other host, Christy Hall. What's up? We literally just had a whole five-minute conversation about how bad I am when I start the show, and Christy's staring at me, and I'm just staring at the screen, and I literally just said, oh, shit, we're recording. <laughs> All of this time, this is like our, what, 30-some, almost 40th episode. I still don't know how to start this shit. <laughs> It's okay, because like we were saying, she doesn't know how to start. I don't know how to end it. So it's perfectly fine. We wanted to recommend a show. You know, it's been out for about a month now. But she and I randomly were just like, oh, what are we watching? And we both found out we were watching the show Unbelievable. It's on Netflix. It's with one of my personal favorite actresses, Toni Collette. Love her. And who's the other actress? Let me look this up. I recognize her, and I know that she's done something really good. I just can't pinpoint my name. Mariette Weaver, Tony Collette, Daniel McDonald, who, who she has been an up and coming actress. She was in this movie that I loved called Patty Cake. She's also in Bird Box. She was the curly haired yeah. blonde woman who passed away. She's great in it too. But I have to say, like, the highlight for me is Tony Collette. I've been a fan of hers since middle school when I saw her in this Australian film called Muriel's Wedding. It's like an Aussie classic film. And before my friend of mine introduced it, ever since then, what I love about Tony is she can morph into anything. People don't realize that you've probably seen three or four films. And you don't even know it. She was the mom in Sixth Sense. She's done everything. She was in this great HBO show called United States of Terror, which sadly got canceled, but that gave Brie Larson her start on her career. And, you know, she was a supporting actress to Tony as well. I love her. People give Meryl Streep so much credit. I put her up there with Meryl. Like, I do. Yeah, I love Meryl's my all-time favorite actress, but I really love Tony Collette. And my sister's the one that really, she loves her too, but she's the one who really turned me on to her because she's like, you don't even know how many films you've seen with her in it. And like, when I think about it, I've seen her in so many things and she is so versatile because she can be super funny. She can be serious, but she can also do a scary movie, which not everyone who can do a serious movie can do a scary movie. And I'm sorry, but if you haven't seen Hereditary, she gave me chills throughout that movie. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And it's also based out of, well, part of the show is in Colorado, not far from where I live. So it's super fascinating for me since I just moved here. It's weird because they're talking about like random cities and I'm like, hey, I'm getting an idea of where that is. So it's exciting for me because it's like geographical, which is hysterical because most shows take place in New York or LA. It was more relatable to me right now as well. It's definitely the first episode was hard to get through. It Very is- hard to watch. Yeah. It says in the beginning, you know, there is explicit scenes. It's about rape and things like that. So it's it's not for the faint of heart, for sure. I wouldn't recommend it if you, if you struggle with uh, sexual assaults or things of that nature. It's really really the first episode i was like i don't know if i'm gonna get into this but i i stuck through knowing tony collette would show up and i'm glad that i did i really yeah am. it could be triggering so you know it, it could be a trigger for you but it could also be therapeutic and helpful but again it's it's very graphic so if you have a hard time with stuff like that i wouldn't recommend that you watch it but if you can stick through it there is just so much amazing acting going on and it is a very important story and it really did happen and it's something that happens to a lot of victims and it is important to watch and it should make you uncomfortable because the topic is uncomfortable but I just think it's a it's a really well done show and would recommend it for anybody who can who can bear it. It's just what we haven't finished yet. We're like on about the same pace. We're like 
episode four or five. But I have to say, after the first episode, it has it's not as hard to watch after that. It's just the sure. details, and it starts very quickly, um, are hard to watch. But if you can get through it, the rest of it is worth it. Totally promise. Absolutely. I agree. And since we are in Erie October, he and I were also discussing going to haunted houses. It's something she and I both have done. Weirdly enough, we never gone together. So I find that really strange. Um, I don't weird. know. It's kind of weird that that's never actually happened. I know you go to Eastern Penn every year, which is awesome. Like I'm super mm-hmm. stoked that. So tell maybe people that don't know about Eastern Penn, you can tell them about it. So there is a penitentiary in Philadelphia called Eastern State Penitentiary. Most people probably know because Al Capone was there. And it is huge and super creepy. And so they open it up every September to November for, of course, like haunted tours. And it's I like it because, you know, you go to a lot of these haunted houses and they cost a lot of money and they're like five minutes long. This doesn't cost a lot of money and it is legitimately 45 minutes because there's, it's huge. So there's five to six different sections and you just keep walking in and out of them. To me, it's fun because I think being scared is fun but it is super creepy and it's it's worth the money plus they also let you if you really want to tour the actual penitentiary like without the haunted thing they do let you tour it they let you they show you a replica of al capone's cell you can look in like the like the cells are now like kind of destroyed but they let you look inside them they give you some history so i pretty much go every year because every year they change the theme actually when this episode airs on the 9th i will be going on the 11th, I'm going for that weekend. I'm actually going to see something not new, but another one. There is also an asylum called Penhurst Asylum that's also in, in Pennsylvania. It's super creepy during the day. And I didn't do like a haunted tour. I kind of just took a regular tour of the grounds and it was super creepy in the middle of the day, not even trying to scare people. So um, we're thinking of doing, we're going to go for a weekend. So we're going to try to hit them both up. So I'll definitely keep you guys updated on how it was. That's awesome. I'm trying to experience as much as I can. So we were talking about it and I found one. It's called City of the Dead in Asylum Haunted House in Denver. And it's funny, you said some of them are five minutes long. According to some people, they don't even make it through all the way because it's located in the Mile High Flea Market. So they completely Mm. convert this flea market into a haunted house. Flea markets are huge, as you can imagine. So some people probably get so scared they leave before they're even finished. Me, I'm going to get through it as long as I can skip the clown section because for some reason at all these fucking things there's always a clown section oh I have to say oh, that the penitentiary wait. always does one thing where a clown jumps up at you and I will be fine the whole time except for when the clown jumps out one of our mutual friends as well one of her favorite stories ever to tell about me is the one time they forced me to go through Fright Fest and so every year in New Jersey at Six Flags they do the Fright Fest and so one year they had just an entire clown corner. I was and one of her favorite stories to tell is like, she said that I was like Hussein Bolt. Like she didn't even see me. One second I was there, the next second she just saw my feet taken off because like it was such a long haul of just clowns. So I figured if I could fly through that, no problem, one or two won't be so bad. I'm getting better about it. I got through it, but I watched it on my computer screen because I was like, if it's small enough, I can contain it. Watching it on a big screen would be too much. Like, I can if, the, if the head is teeny tiny, screen. then it's not so scary. Yeah, exactly. But I had this similar experience at Six Flags where I went to Fright Fest and I'm fine with everything through Fright Fest. I went through every single haunt. I went through everything. Then I think it was the same. It had to be the same year because there was one section that was just like a fun house. So I get to the fun house and everybody goes in and I'm like, guys, I am not going. And I guess one of the clowns overheard me because as I'm trying to walk away, I turn around and it's right in my fucking face and I booked it. Like I was out. And the thing is, I thought I was escaping it and I'm telling you, I kept running into that fucking clown for the rest of the night and it was annoying me because I'm like, you know that I'm actually terrified oh, no, and you need to leave me alone. No, the same, but like before I ran, I tried to be brave. So the whole time I'm looking at my feet and it was like a the hardest will ever to not look up and this one bitch 
clown. I'm literally going to call him. I can't remember if it was a him or her because I was so traumatized. But this one bitch clown went into my ear and was going, look at me, look at me, look at me. The whole, and that's what made me bolt was like, I just was like, I'm going to look at this person. And the way it's, she's, he or she said it, it was in such a creepy voice. Like I, to this day, can't remember if it was a boy or girl because it was in that weird tone, you know? And I was just like, they're all about it. They hire the right people to freak you out. That's for damn sure. But let's get into the episode because I have stuff that I'm going to freak you guys out. What are you reading for us today? Of course you're going to freak us out because it's eerie October. (laughs) It's so funny now because I have the categories on Reddit that every time a creepy story pops up, it just pops up in my thing. It's like, here's a creepy story for you today. I picked a story from the username dies ironically, which would probably be how I would die. (laughs) We all will die ironically, I promise. (laughs) So they state, last year I was staying in a hotel with my mom. One of the nights as I was laying in bed, I noticed a human silhouette maybe two meters away from me. Christy, how far is two meters? Two meters, six feet? That's really close. Yeah. I figured it was just a shadow, so I tried to ignore it, but I couldn't. I turned the light on and obviously it disappeared. But when I shut off the lights, again, it came back. I tried to convince myself that it was just a shadow. But trust me when I say there was nothing in that room that could have made a shadow like that. I looked around the room several times. It also occurred to me that the shadows, the shadow wasn't there the previous night and nothing had been moved around. It looked just like a human silhouette. I never believed in ghosts, but right then and there, I was terrified. I was too scared to look at it, so I turned around and eventually fell asleep. I told my mom about it the next morning and she just shrugged it off. She said I was just imagining things. Fair enough. The shadow wasn't there the next night or the next night after that. A few days after we had gotten back home, my mom was doing something in the kitchen and I was just sitting there studying. Without turning around, my mom said, do you remember that shadow of a person you saw at the hotel? I said, yeah. My mom just said, I saw it too. My blood turned to fucking ice. Mom didn't want to admit that she saw that she also saw it. I thought that she was sleeping because she didn't want to freak me out. I'm convinced that if ghosts exist, I saw one that night. My mom thinks it was the ghost of her best friend who had committed suicide just a few days prior. Mom has spent hours earlier that evening writing her a long letter for some kind of closure. Maybe her best friend also wanted to say goodbye. That is fucking creepy. Wow. I mean, I've heard of people visiting when they die, but like that's a whole other trip because visited two people in the same household. And then the funny thing is the mom was in denial the first time. So it's And it wasn't even their house. It was like a hotel where they were writing a letter. So like they they just like, how did you know the letter was being written to you? Like it's crazy. As Vicky and I have mentioned before, this time of year has always been our favorite. I appreciate the cool down of the summer air, the colors of the trees, of the remaining leaves, the crisp air, but most of all, I love all things abnormal. My birthday, luckily for me, happens to be in October. And a lot of people are always like, oh, you just like October because it's your birthday. No, I just happen to be lucky enough. My birthday's in June. I love October. (laughs) I love October more than I love June. Exactly. So because I was born in October, most of the few birthday parties I had growing up were usually Halloween theme focused since I was born the day before Halloween. As you can imagine, this has led to some rather interesting gifts. I've had a ton of people do really <laughs> funny things through the years. Just because your birthday is right before Halloween does not mean you have to get me something. And they know that I'm weird. Like, I'm odd. I'm different from the rest of my family. But, like, sometimes it was a stretch. You know, like, <laughs> like I'm like, okay, that's a little strange. Like, that's weird even for me. Thanks. Um, <laughs> my family has always known my unique tastes, as I said, when it comes to things. For example, I wrote in my diary that I recently found, because I've been unpacking, that for my seventh birthday, I wanted a haunted treehouse. What does that entail, you may ask? You'd have to go back in time and ask young Christy what she meant, because I don't even know what I meant anymore. Did you want, 
like an actual functioning treehouse that was haunted? Or did you think that they sold little haunted treehouses for I don't people? know. Again, I read it and I was like, what the hell am I asking? For? You were always weird. <laughs> However, the one gift I was never a huge fan of was dolls. Sure, I went through a Barbie and Polly pocket phase as most girls did my age, but those things usually ended up in my younger sister's possessions. There was this one doll that creeped me out that my grandmother gave a pale porcelain doll with curly ringlets and glassy eyes. Why do grandmas think those dolls are cute? They're not cute. They're creepy. I hate them. I hate them so much. I tried to be nice and leave it out with my other stuffed animals, but it felt like it was always watching me no matter where I went in my room. So one day I threw it in the back of my closet, AKA a kid's abyss. And I don't remember seeing it ever again. Like I tried to think about it and I was like, did my mom throw it out? Did I just like get rid of it on my own one day? Did my brother or sister, cause like we shared a room for a while, did they share, did they toss it? I have no fucking recollection what happened to this doll. As I grew older, I realized this must be a bigger phenomenon than my fear of those little glass eyes following me around because since then, there have been tons of crazy tales involving dolls. In one of our summer episodes titled A Real Frightening Destination, I mentioned a man in Mexico named Julian who created Isla de las Muñecas or Doll Island because he claimed he was haunted by the spirit of a girl and started hanging more dolls in an attempt to please her spirit. And now some say those dolls are active. Then there are movies about evil dolls, the Chucky series, Dead Silence, Annabelle, just to name a few. To go beyond dolls that, are creepy. Yes, they are. To go beyond that, there have always been tales of cursed dolls or magic spirits stuck in dolls. So this has inspired me today. I know what y'all might be thinking. This is about voodoo, magic, or a curse. It's kind of true, but some of them aren't. But voodoo is more of an umbrella term that you would come to expect. A pejorative term may also be black magic. However, every culture has its own version of voodoo or black magic or whatever you want to call it. But I'll start with the voodoo tale first because going into more variations of dolls and how important they are in curses or plastic coming to life, it all kind of depends on culturally where you come from. These are different doll stories. Voodoo, according to articles written by HuffPost, is, quote, a religion that originates in Africa, in the Americas, and in the Caribbean. It is thought to be a combination of various African, Catholic, and Native American traditions. It is practiced around the world, but there is no accurate account of how many people are voodooists. Voodoo has no scripture or world authority. It is a community-centered and supports individual experience, empowerment, and responsibility. A lot of things about voodoo are misinterpreted. We all see these, like, horrible stories about jinxes and hexes and curses, but not all voodoo is bad or black magic is bad. It's, it's just about the person making that decision, just like somebody decides to be a Christian, just like somebody decides to be a Satanist. It's a personal choice and there's good and bad in all things. And that's how it is. Voodoo is just a practice. And so it all just depends on what people decide to do with that practice. However, many of the stories that you do hear when it comes to voodoo and dolls are creepy to say the very fucking least. This, of course, was on Reddit, and it was too good not to share. It was posted by Jack C. Claus, and the headline reads, I burned a voodoo doll. Not a good idea. Never a good idea. My mom loves going to garage slash yard sales. If she can get craft supplies and not too shabby furniture for less than what she would pay in store, she's a happy person for the day. She had come home with this brown box full of random things. She had gotten the box for $2 and <laughs> took the thing she wanted out of it and gave everything else to me. There were some books and notebooks I thought were cool. Most of the box was junk. Half-used notebooks, CDs with scratches on the back, some old cookbooks from the 90s, but something was stuck in the corner at the box at the bottom. 
This box was easily two feet tall to give a bit of an image for you. I pulled the item from the corner. It literally was stuck there like it was glued on. And it was this weird little doll. I don't really know how to explain it because I never came across something like this. This happened in 2007. And all I had for a phone back then was this fake razor from TrackPhone. Oh, I remember those. I remember those. <laughs> so it wasn't like I could just take a video or picture easily. Anyway, the doll was about three or four inches tall, and it looked like a little Mexican or Native girl. I remember looking at it and feeling drawn to it, like I wanted to check out every little piece. It had a few necklaces around its neck with those cheap beads you can get at an AIDS department craft store, and they were blue, red, and yellow. The hair was odd. It didn't feel like yarn, and it almost looked human. So off the bat, this is yeah, no, fucking weird. That's a no for me. It had two black braids on its head that were tied with yarn, and it was wearing a little dress that was blue and red. It all looked handmade. The eyes were creepy, just two black lines of thread equal distance apart on the face, and the body was just round. The features were all added with the accessories like the hair and dress, but the actual doll was just a lump of this tough netting-like material. It was heavy for a doll, but I thought it was cool and weird. I was kind of into that stuff. When I lifted the dress, I saw a long needle about the length of the doll's body that was covered by the dress held to the doll through the netting. I pulled the needle out and it didn't have a hole for thread to go through at the top. So instead of adding it to my mother's sewing kit, I just stuck it about halfway into the body of the doll and went to eat dinner. She found like a huge needle. Stuck a needle in a voodoo doll. No, she, she lifted the dress, saw it, pulled it out and then put it back halfway. She had realized that it was a pin stuck in it already and just kind of changed her mind, I guess. Now, I have no idea if the two things were connected, but the next three days, I was so sick. I missed school for a week because I was just throwing up all day long every couple of hours. I hadn't gone anywhere, hadn't eaten anything unusual, plus none of the fa- my family and friends were sick at the time. It came seemingly out of nowhere. Anything I ate, I couldn't hold down. And after throwing up stop, I was so tired and run down. I had to use all my strength just to walk around the house. It sounds like food poisoning, but mind you, she said, I didn't eat anything weird. My family wasn't sick. It was strictly me. So that's pretty strange. For about a year, I forgot the doll existed. Mom had stuffed it on the shelf in my room, surrounded by random things I thought were cool, and life went on. I had met this girl at my high school who was into spirit communication and swore, swore she could see spirits in ours. She and I became best friends over time, and one day I had her over at my place after school. It was a normal day, and she was telling my mom what kind of pizza she wanted as my parents were heading out to get dinner for everyone. After they left, she found the weird little doll and pulled it down from the shelf to show me. She asked how I got it and said it had some pretty bad vibes about it. According to her, it actually tingled to the touch for her, and she didn't want to have it in her hands for long. I told her what had happened when I got it, and she was instantly alert. My parents called to say they were going to see a movie, which meant we had the rest of the night to ourselves. My friend suggested that we get rid of the doll. It was full of negative energy, and she seemed genuinely creeped out at the sight of it. I agreed, and we took the doll out to my house's fire pit. I found some old matches, and we tried to light it on fire, but the damn doll wouldn't light. The dress seemed fireproof, but it was just cotton. We went back inside and found some paper and wrapped the doll in the paper. She lit the paper, and finally the doll had some flames on it. We threw it in the fire pit, and my friend got pretty serious. She told me I had to say out loud that I wanted the negative energy and spirits connected to Zal to leave this house and leave my family alone. I did. I had this weird power come over me, and my voice was stronger than anticipated. The flames got bigger, and things got weirder. 
inside the house. We heard my alarm going off. My friend and I ran inside and found my light was turned off and my alarm was blaring at 11 p.m. The rest of the house was lit up like we left it. So I turned on my light and quickly unplugged my alarm. I was turning around to leave when something else started beeping. I went back into my room with my friend right behind me and we searched for whatever it was, scared out of our minds. Finally, after some digging, I found an old Tamagotchi thing that was beeping. It was so loud, you could hear it from outside of the house and nothing I did stopped the noise. I know some people might be younger and not remember these Tamagotchi things. I had one. I remember. Those things were not that loud where you could like hear it from outside. No, that's how they died half the time because you didn't even hear them going off. Exactly. My friend grabbed the toy and started to step on it, but the beeping just got more distorted. After taking turns to stomp on this old toy, it finally broke and the beeping stopped. We gathered up the glass slash pieces and walked back to the fire pit where we were greeted with the smell that we couldn't get out of our noses. The hair of the doll was still burning, a slow flame that was oddly the only flame left. The rest of the doll had burned and we poked it with a stick of the remains of the tiny dress. My friend went home and I hugged my parents extra tight that night when they got home. I went to bed scared and unable to process what had happened. I then had a vivid dream of people standing in black cloaks around my fire pit with the little doll in the fire pit on fire. They were all chanting, bring her back, bring her back. And I found myself in tears, like someone had died and I had witnessed it. One of the cloaks turned to me and yelled at me to say, bring her back three times. I did as I told until I finally woke up mid-sentence and realized it was morning. I went back out to the fire pit that morning to find nothing but those cheap colored beads and five rusty nails all grouped together, like they were stuck or glued in a bundle. Over the next year, my dad lost his job. My parents had to file a chapter 13 so we wouldn't lose our house due to credit card debt. They couldn't pay. My mom's car was smashed right after she hit a deer while driving home. I have no idea if we did it right. And we were just some creeped out 16-year-old girls. But that was one of the scariest moments of my life. Everything I have said in this post is true. Okay, so, okay. I'm going to point out a couple things. One, no, you didn't do it right. And two, no. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely not. I would have just got rid of it or blessed it or threw it on a box and bury it. Like there's I would have sold it at the next fucking flea market. Like, hey, I have a box. Oh, you're you a, want you're, it? you're a passer. You're yep. a, I don't care what it is. I'm just gonna pass it along. Oh, it's going right back in the fucking box, and I'm selling this box to Goodwill. Here you go. Somebody else's problem, not mine. I'm not trying to burn shit because what if it backfires on me? I'm not trying to die. According to her, after that, they came through a slew of bad luck. So who knows if they're related? The next story that I'm going to tell you is actually about Macumba, which is Afro-Brazilian witchcraft. The religion is practiced in Brazil, Argentina, Uruguay, and Paraguay. According to cultworld.com, Macumba is a Brazilian form of voodoo and santeria, or the worship of the ancient African gods through the spirit, possession, and magic. There is no Macumba religion. The word is like kind of an umbrella term for the two principal forms of African spirit worship. In Brazil, Candombole and Umbanda. Macumba sometimes is referred to as black magic, but it is more appropriately called the Quimbanda, a Brazilian voodoo or black magic, if you will. Black slaves transported to Brazil by the Portuguese in the 1550s, they found their tribal religion had much in common with the spiritual practices of Indian tribes along the Amazon River. Its exposure to Brazilian culture allowed it to evolve with European influences, Brazilian spiritualism, and Roman Catholic. The African element, however, dominates with what scholars consider typical characteristics of the region's spiritual rituals, such as outdoor sites, occasional animal sacrifice, 
ceremonial dancing, spirit offerings, etc. I found this story weirdly on fun107.com, an odd place, I promise. But it's fun, fun 107. This doesn't sound fun. This, I don't know why it was on this particular site, but it was so good that I was like, oh, I have to put this in. It's really good. This is the person now going into their story. The first thing you need to know is that this is a true story. A story about three deaths that may have been caused by a curse. A story about a mysterious fish doll, black magic, and havoc it wrecked on a South Coast family. And once again, it's all true. I first came across this tale when working on my book, Haunted Objects, Stories of Ghosts on Your Shelf, which I co-authored with Christopher Bonzano. Another longtime friend, John Brightman of New England Paranormal Research, answered my calls for stories of haunted or cursed items with a story that might be unbelievable to most. But to someone who understands the dark and mysterious nature of superstition on the South Coast, stories of the fantastic are not so uncommon. John was requested to help a woman in Westport. We'll call her Amanda, and we'll change all the other names too. So they, for privacy reasons, change these people's names. With paranormal activity that had been ongoing in her home, which had been there when she grew up with her mother, sister, and brother. All three had recently passed away, and the home had been plagued with phenomenon, such as objects moving on their own, doors that would open and slam shut. Amanda saw a mist come from the basement doorway. What the fuck is it with basements? I have no idea. And her young granddaughter said she saw her dead uncle Roger near the staircase. So typical kind of possessions or hauntings. Yeah, if you will. typical. Unfortunately, it's typical from when you hear. The home had been previously belonged to Amanda's mother, Esther, who had lived her 90s despite failing health. Also living in the home had been Amanda's brother, Roger, who was in his 60s, but also quite ill himself. He had shouldered the burden of caring for Esther, even though the youngest sister, Vivian, was also living there, but refused to help with Esther's care. Roger was out of the house one day, and Vivian saw her chance. She told her mother about how her brother wasn't going to get any better, and that he may try to put her up in a nursing home to rot and die. Vivian swore to Esther that if she signed the house and everything over to her, she would see that Roger couldn't remove her from her beloved home and she could die with dignity. She signed everything over to Vivian, including power of attorney. The daughter that refused to help her mother manipulated her mom into signing over everything to her because the brother Roger was failing health, but he was the only one helping Esther. Well, Roger was furious when he found out. After all, he was the one sacrificing his time and apparently his own health to care for his mother. And on top of that, Vivian lied. Once Esther signed everything over to her, she put her mom in a nursing home anyway and told Roger he had to get out of there because this was now her house. So she completely manipulated these two sick people that were family members to take over this house. What a bitch. Esther died shortly thereafter with no cause of death ever determined, according to the medical records. Two months later, Vivian suffered a ruptured spleen and died unexpectedly. Roger gave in to his own health problems a few months after that, and within a span of eight months, all three had died. Yeah, it's a crazy amount of people to die in one family. Amanda inherited the house and everything in it. She wanted to sell it and be rid of the remainder of the family drama she had to watch from the sidelines. It was while she was cleaning out the house that she discovered the altar. There was a small, dark desk in Roger's room with three or four candles placed across its surface. In the center was a strange box. Before he took ill, Roger was a successful commercial fisherman, and Amanda thought it might have been something he came across in his travels for work. The box is about eight inches long and four inches wide, almost like a jewelry box size. Kind of gives you an idea. Okay. Inside was a stuffed toy that appeared to resemble a fish, even though it was old and faded. Tacked to it were three photos, 
two of which were people she instantly recognized, her sister Vivian and her daughter Esther. <gasps> Little stick pins had been inserted into the doll in various positions, making it resemble a voodoo doll. There was also a photo of a man she did not recognize. Also in the box were extra pins, some dried herbs that she thinks might have been sage, mysterious oils and ointments with no labels. It looked like many of the items were quite old. Perhaps this was something Roger had practiced for many years. Although Amanda had no way of knowing, Roger's work as a commercial fisherman brought him in contact with people of various cultures around the world. Sailing out of New Bedford, he worked alongside many seamen from Portugal and Brazil. In Brazilian culture, there is the form of black magic, Macumba. Is it possible that Roger learned this version of Brazilian voodoo from one of his fellow fishermen? Macumba rituals are often used to seek revenge on family members who have done harm, and rituals often include utilizing a photo of the person you want to inflict the dark magic upon. For that reason, many superstitious Brazilians will not allow a photograph of themselves to be given to someone they don't know. So it's no surprise that after she discovered the altar, Amanda's house was plagued with paranormal activity. Amanda hired a medium to come in and possibly help any restless spirits move on from the house and to help remove any bad vibes by her brother practicing voodoo in the house. The medium explained that the pins that were stuck into the fish doll were arranged in a way that could inflict pain on the intended target. Without knowing Vivian or how she died, she pointed out that one of the pins appeared to be placed in what would be represented as the spleen. A shiver went down Amanda's spine. The medium also told Amanda that if they took the box with the doll from the altar and buried it in the yard. The hauntings would stop. See? Told you. Always bury them shits. Right. Like, don't try to light it on fire. <laughs> you have to bury shit. it. It didn't take, which is why she later bought in John and the paranormal group. They came in and investigated for nine hours, but captured no sign of paranormal activities themselves. They even dug up the, doll, the box and the doll in the hopes that bringing it back into the house would lead to activity, but nothing happened. John believes because the haunting was only meant for the family. The mystery also remained as to who the man who in the third photograph stuck to the stuffed doll was. Speculation is that it could have been a partner in the fishing business that wronged Roger in some way. That might even explain why the doll was the shape of a fish. When the box was removed from the property, John took it to his own possessions before eventually turning it over to legendary paranormal research and haunted collector star John Zaffis. All the strange activity reached an abrupt end. A sense of peace that had been missing from the home for many decades. The curse apparently lifted. This was just like a family possession. I would never think someone would want to harm their family. This sounds like they wanted her to die to take over the house. And then when Vivian got out of control, he made sure he took care of that too. But, like you, but then you died. So you did something wrong. Because- well, he was sick too, remember. So he was already dying. I'm just sure he wanted to get his licks in. You know, like that's, it's pretty crazy. Like, I've always thought of it. Like, there's times where I'm like, yo, I just want to hurt all of you, but I would never do that. Right. I mean, that's a normal emotion. I guess she must have been the good one because he didn't have her in the box. She was kind of on the sidelines. She just watched all the drama because she didn't live in the house. So it just seems like there was like, that's a very tense house. And then you tie in this Brazilian magic that this guy apparently somehow got his hands on. It's pretty insane. The stories I mentioned are creepy to say the least, but with the unexplainable events in an unexplainable world, there's at least a rough idea of where the sources could be from. Then there are stories of dolls where there's no origin, no idea how it's possible they could exist in this dimension. And here are a few tales of those dolls. Oh, yay. These sound great. Not creepy at all. I can only assume that if you listen to podcasts like this, you are into seeing horror films here and there. Annabelle has been one of the most recent famous stories of a haunted doll, a real doll that is a large part of the paranormal research Ed and Lorraine Warren story. 
at the Warren Occult Museum, Annabelle is kept in a glass box secure with ritualistic prayers. And just so you know, Annabelle's actually a raggedy Ann doll. Like, I know they make her look... Yeah, creepy. they made her look all creepy with the braids and stuff, but it's a total raggedy Ann doll. See, it's your standard 70s into the late 90s. If you look up raggedy Ann, she'll pop up. That's what she looks like. She looks Which, like to me, that looks kind of creepy in itself. It's a fucking ragdoll. Ragdolls aren't like, oh, she's hot. <laughs> Annabelle and her famous friend Robert have had films made after them, and stories have been told for years. But Ed and Lorraine's collection go beyond these dolls. The Shadow Doll is one that I personally hadn't heard of until I researched this case. The what? That doesn't sound like anything. I don't even want to know what it is. <laughs> I'm going to skip this one. Can I so put you on mute? <laughs> its name might be scary as well, but the scary ass face and figure are even worse. I'm not even going to lie to you. You're going to show me a picture later, aren't you? If you want to. Well, I mean, you're going to have to put it up, so you'll see it anyway. Exactly. <laughs> the Warren Files don't state why this horrible doll was created in the first place, but it does state that it was used for satanic rituals and was created by black magic using human and animal bones. Oh no. The rumor behind this doll is that if you take a picture of it, it can project itself into the dreams of the person who dared to look it in the eye. That is very intricate. Taking the photo is, but if you look at into the eye of the doll, that's so specific. It will come into your dreams. <laughs> like so specific. So specific. However, it is not a simple dream. The dream is more of a nightmare. The dream has been said to be so horrifying that the victims would either suffer from a heart attack or forever be frightened of sleep because of the horrifying looking doll. The Warren files even verify that there have been a few deaths caused by it. Oh, God. The shadow doll was found in an antique shop, and oddly enough, no origin or possible explanation, of course, a couple freaking purchased it. After they bought it home, the couple began to have the most freakish of nightmares. They talked about it and realized they were experiencing the same nightmares of the cursed doll. Like, imagine you sitting next to Ryan and be like, yo, I had the creepiest nightmare. And you guys explain the exact same nightmare. I've never heard of that happening. Then the husband woke up and had scratches all over his back and neck, which could only be traced back to the shadow doll. Today, this doll stands freely in the museum. Its evil black eyes, black feathered cloak, and mouth forever open to devour any soul. Also, don't do that creepy voice. <laughs> just like, oh yeah, and so. Also, stuck in what I can only refer to as I looked this up, Warren's captured evil jail. That's literally all I kept. <laughs> I was like, this is like jail for like the haunted stuff. Like I swear. So Warren's captured evil jail is a doll known as the Satanic doll. You know it's bad when the Warrens call something a satanic doll. And put it in, like, satanic doll jail. That's an intimidating-ass name. That's for damn sure. They knew what they were doing. This odd-looking doll was mysteriously located deep in the woods of Connecticut. Again, with no explanation or origin. I know voodoo and hoodoo and shit is all scary, but, like, these... At least you know where that comes from. Because there's at least the possibility of an explanation. These are just, like, Like, they fucking... People make the dolls, so you know that, like, the voodoo comes from somewhere. But if you can't tell me where the doll came... I'm probably not going to buy a doll because we both find dolls creepy. But (laughs) going to buy a doll, you need to tell me who made it and where it came from. I'm not buying a doll that has no freaking origin. Well, even Annabelle, she's a freaking raggedy end doll. That was like Mattel, and they, there's still something wrong with it. So Right, so Mattel, I think at least is that is like, why would you buy that? Well, because it was like a little raggedy end doll from yeah. Mattel, but who the fuck buys shadow dolls and like satanic dolls? Why? In the middle of the woods of Connecticut, a man was walking alone in the woods. He came across this doll and described the doll was sucking his strength and energy in order to weaken him. 
just in the middle of the woods. So just stuck in the middle of the woods of Connecticut. He was walking, came across this doll, and just felt sick and, like, weak. And he felt like it was the doll's fault. He said that the doll filled him with dread and fear. He did the smart thing and bounced, leaving the doll right where it was. Good. After he left the doll behind, however, he came across an old man in a black cloak walking opposite of him. Scared and shaken up, he managed to gain the courage to ask for directions to get out of the forest. Fortunately, the old man guided him out. We don't know enough information about this doll background history or how or why it was even placed in the forest. When this doll came into the possession of Lorraine Warren, she expressed that it was one of the most dreadful paranormal artifacts she has ever encountered. That's horrible if, it, if she said that. The queen of paranormal said it was the most dreadful thing yet. Like, she's the queen. Her and Ed created this whole paranormal, not necessarily the business of it, but the explanations and the reasons why a lot of these things happen. They're the experts. They're the ones that knew everything. Right. They purposely go into these haunted homes and they look for, and they try to help these families. And for them to say that a doll was the most dreadful thing, no. When the Warrens put the idol in the basement, Lorraine began to experience terrifying paranormal experiences, such as levitation, and being in a catatonic state for days, she felt like it came from the doll. The second she bought this doll in, she was having horrible dreams. All kinds of crazy shit came with this. This doll may not look scary, but some say that's how it lures its victims in. Ed Warren had placed this doll under the haunted paintings he had collected. It stands freely with its lean body, horned head, and attached evil spirits, waiting for you to visit at their museum. If you are ever on the East Coast and want to be brave and go into Ed and Lorraine Warren's Occult Museum, it's located in Monroe, Connecticut. There is one more doll named Charlie that has been said to be haunted. This has nothing to do with the Warrens. It's just a random one that I found that was interesting. I found this article on AtlantaObscura.com and it's titled Charlie the Haunted Doll. Cassandra, the owner of Local Artisan, which is located minutes from Salem, Massachusetts, is friendly and willing to tell you everything she knows about Charlie and his past. In 1968, a peculiar doll was discovered in the attic of an old Victorian home in upstate New York. Found at the bottom of a tattered trunk full of newspaper, the only item in it was a yellow piece of paper containing the Lord's Prayer. The old newspaper used to pack the trunk had dates on it going back to 1930, but the actual age of the doll could not be determined. The doll was added to a collection of other antique dolls the family owned and had given the doll the name Charlie. At first, The homeowner's family, consisting of himself, his wife, and their five daughters, paid little mind to the toy as it blended into their pre-existing doll collection quite nicely. So these people are like doll collectors, which that's a whole other thing. I don't know who the fuck collect dolls, but whatever. It wasn't until Charlie seemed to move from place to place on the bench of full dolls that anyone took notice. The parents were quick to blame their five mischievous children, but all the children maintained they knew nothing about how the doll was moved. Then the youngest daughter, who was four years old, made a startling statement. Charlie had spoken to her when she got up to use the bathroom in the middle of the night. Naturally, the parents blamed the child's wild imagination. Right. While the parents never witnessed Charlie doing anything, the children soon became fixated on the doll and were terrified of it. All five of them refused to get up during the night to use the bathroom, and none of them would venture within five feet of the bench the doll resided on. The final straw was when the youngest was covered with scratches and insisted they weren't from their cat, but from Charlie. The truth was never fully discovered. The parents, eager to end the chaos, took the back to the attic and locked him in the trunk he was found in. Things soon returned to normal and the doll was forgotten. Years later, once the children were grown, the house was sold and the trunk was removed from the attic to be sold at a garage sale. The doll remained one of the last things to go. Finally, a woman bought the doll to add to her collection and the homeowner recounted his story to her regarding Charlie. 
Since then, the doll has changed hands more than a few times and its story has followed. He has been rumored to still move from time to time, but his ghostly power seems to mainly be unlocked by children. Charlie the Haunted Doll now resides at the shop called Local Artisan. There, he sits among taxidermy animals, unusual art, and other oddities where he can be viewed by the public. I know there's plenty of people who would logically say there's no reason to be fearful of dolls, and I do think that's correct. I also, however, believe in listening to your instincts, and if some doll or weird object resembling a figurine gives you a weird chill on your spine or makes the hairs on your neck stand up quickly, just do what young Christy did to her porcelain doll. Throw that in your own version of the abyss, or get an expert over there. Pretty sure I ripped all the heads off my dolls. You do what Vicky did. Oh, yeah. Rip all the heads off. Yeah. And destroy them. Destroy them yourself. (laughs) I wasn't planning on doing this episode, but I found so many good doll ones. I was like, yeah. But you see, now I'm going to think, like, I don't have dolls, but I do collect pops. And now I'm going to think they're all looking at me. (laughs) And at least one of them is evil. So if I randomly throw one of Ryan's very, like, collector expensive pops, I'm just going to tell him it was evil and it was looking at me. There's a few of them that are free, and one of them is the clown from It. Ooh. That's so I'm throwing that shit. I was going to say, it's brave of you to even accept that in your home. Oh, it's on, the, <laughs> it's on one of the top shelves, so it's not in my line of vision all the time. I would have to look up, and I just don't look up. There you go. Win-win. I hope you're freaked out a little bit. <laughs> I'm definitely freaked out, especially because we recorded unusually late today. So it's like a Sunday night. I'm home alone. My dog just got too hot to be in the room with me, and she's sleeping in another room in the AC. So I'm just sitting here by myself listening to Christy tell me these tales of fucking creepy dolls while I'm staring at a bunch of creepy pops. Okay, I'm just going to go into my who does that. because <laughs> Sorry, not sorry. I'm like, you are not sorry. You are laughing hysterically. You are not sorry, even a little bit. I'm getting you a doll for your birthday. Colorado, <laughs> I'm sending one with a pin in it. Damn you. Who does that? Who does that? Who does that? Who, Who does, does that? that? I gave you guys a break. So Florida, you're up again from HuffPost.com. And we and Christy just discussed this right before this. There hasn't been a lot of funny news this week. So this one's a little bit older. And the headline reads, Florida burglar breaks into home to make breakfast, tells resident, go back to sleep. So funny. Then it says, according to the arrest report, alcohol may have been involved. Like, no. No shit. No shit. So coming out of Safety Harbor, Florida, authorities say a burglar broke into a Florida home, cooked himself an early morning meal, and told a resident to go back to sleep. The home's occupant told investigators he awoke to discover the man cooking and eating sometime after 4 a.m on Tuesday. Oh, Box yeah. The bar's closed at like 3, 2. Oh, yeah. So I he, just needed some food. He wanted <laughs> drunk food. So Fox 13 in Tampa reported the burglar ran from the house when the resident called 911. Deputies from Pinellas County Sheriff's Office tracked down the suspect in a wooded and swampy area behind the home. So he didn't even go far. Probably too drunk probably, to know where he was going. He probably thought he ran a mile. It was like, oh, shit. I'm so <laughs> Deputies say Gavin Krim, a 19-year-old Marine, dude, come on, allegedly entered the home through an unlocked rear door. An arrest report mentioned that the suspect may have been under the influence of alcohol. I would goddamn hope so. I really hope he's not just like a sober Marine walking around like cooking breakfast in someone's house at 4 a.m. But at least he was nice enough to tell the person to go back to sleep. It's true. And it's not like he was robbing you. He was just using your stove. I'm telling you, if you're going to break into my home, just cook yourself some food and get the fuck out. Honestly, that's, the, like you said, that is the least of all evils. Like, I wouldn't really, of course, I would still want this person charges pressed because, you know, God forbid, especially in Florida, you walk into the wrong home, you get shot. 
you know, right. more like his protection, you know. Still, that shit is hilarious. And the fact that he's underage, he's so screwed. He's, you have another crime addict because you're not even supposed to be drunk. So, but what I find so funny is that they're like, oh, he ran from the home. And it's like, dude, you were like basically in the backyard. Like you were right, right, right behind the house. Like you didn't go anywhere. People do really stupid shit when they're drunk. Bless your alligator loving hearts out there. Seriously, Florida. But I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I think the doll one's a little worse than what's coming up, but I don't know. It all depends on who you ask. So you got to tune in, find out what's I going on the rest of October. fucking hope it's not worth it. I know we, put the, we did this to ourselves. Yeah. But like... We have to face our own fears if we're going to host this. That's pretty much it. Well, we hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you're as creeped out as we are. And as we always tell you, like, subscribe, review, email us, theeriamericas at gmail.com. Give us some creepy stories. We'd love to read some. Most importantly, stay weird, Americas. Bye. Bye.